The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above the gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Okay, we're in Joshua 22. Today is verses 21 through 29. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows, and let Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord, so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord, our God, which is before his tabernacle. Okay, uh, what we want to do today while we're reading this, I had uh, Ron and Shannon this morning while we were setting things up, they were trying to determine what is being pictured in these passages. 
And what you want to do is as we're going through them, last week, you remember what we did there this week, what is God trying to tell us? What is a picture of something going on in redemptive history that mirrors what is going on here? The details are obviously different because this is an altar and that's pointing to something else, but what is God trying to tell us? Our passage today will anticipate Christ. If it didn't, it would be out of line with any other passage we have looked at from Joshua. We'll see hints of this as we go along. But when we get to the end of the chapter, we will see what the overall typology is telling us. However, there are also lessons concerning our own lives. The verses here speak to us about the importance of communication, reconciliation, and unity within Israel. Since we are a part of the commonwealth of Israel, the same should be true for the body of Christ. As we saw in the last passage, when the western tribes of Israel heard about the altar, they assumed that the eastern tribes were rebelling against God by setting up a false altar. They gathered an army to prepare for war against their fellow Israelites. But before rushing into battle, they sent a delegation led by Phineas, the priest, to investigate. After lodging their complaint against the eastern tribes, here we will see how those tribes explain the building of the altar. Our text verse comes from James chapter 1. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The tribes that gathered at Shiloh in preparation for war were restrained allowing things to play out with the delegation. The eastern tribes were slow to speak, allowing the delegation to state its complaint before responding. In the passage today, the western tribes will be swift to hear. Nothing is recorded concerning them speaking while those from east of the Jordan are allowed to finish with their response. We can learn from this. I know I can. I find it hard to keep from interrupting when I disagree with someone. If you don't already know this, ask my mother or any other member of my family or anyone I do missions work with each week. I am not the patient, listen, and be silent sort. Hats off to you if you are. As for this passage in Joshua, I've gotten my mom so mad at me in the past that she wants to say something and I interrupt her and she says, okay, I'm not going to tell you. And she walks away and that's the end of that. As for this passage in Joshua, the entire episode between the tribes could have been avoided if the Western tribes had simply communicated their intentions. At the same time, they probably never imagined that the actions they were taking would get the other tribes in such a huff, so the blame can only go so far. Sending the delegation was the right thing to do. As you read the Bible, think about things like this. There is an endless stream of lessons we can derive from just thinking about the circumstances of whatever passage we read. Above all, however, think about how the passage is pointing us to Jesus. God selected these words for more than just a quick life application about keeping quiet while others talk. He selected them because they are relevant to the greater plan of redemption laid out in the Bible. This is certain. Such great things as this are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is a border between us and you. It's verses 21 through 25. In the Joshua 22:10 10 through 20 sermon, which was last week, 
Phineas and ten rulers from each tribe of Israel that settled in Canaan came to the eastern tribes and questioned them concerning the altar they had built. They reminded those tribes east of the Jordan about the matter of Peor, the trespass of Achan, and the tragedy those events brought upon Israel. Now, those of the eastern tribes will respond concerning their actions. Verse 21, Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered. If you remember, the structure of the passage was provided concerning the use of the word Shevet or Mate being used to translate the word tribe. Also, we saw a list of times the definite article was used before mentioning the half-tribe of Manasseh. In this case, the word is Shevet, the political aspect of the tribe. Also, there is an article before Manasseh, half-tribe the Manasseh. Thus, there is a sense of separation being conveyed by these people in their response to the accusations. Verse 21 continues, and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel. Rather than said, it reads, spoke, vidaberu et rashe ape Yisrael, and spoke to heads, thousands, Israel. Their words are a statement without any participation from their audience. It will be a declaration of innocence. Further, their words are especially highlighted in Scripture because they are a key part of the special literary device that is found in this passage. If you remember from last week, we showed the chiasm. This is the very center of that chiasm right now. Verse 22, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods. The words form the center of the chiasm. They are not complicated, and yet they are widely translated. El Elohim Yehovah, El Elohim Yehovah. A few examples, the God of gods, Jehovah, the God of gods, Jehovah, that's Young's literal translation. The Lord, the most mighty God, the Lord, the most mighty God, that's the Dewey Rames, a Catholic Bible. The mighty one, God, Jehovah, the mighty one, God, Jehovah, that's the ASV. The Lord is the greatest God, that's the CEV. God, God the Lord, God God the Lord, that's the JPS Tanakh, the Jewish version. El means God, coming from Ayil, a ram. That comes from Ul, the body, but by implication, to be strong, like Charlie Garrett. Thus, it signifies might or strength. Elohim is a majestic plural of El that refers to God while indicating a fullness within him. It can also be a plural, gods, when referring to other gods. The Tetragrammaton, yod Hey vav Hey is the divine name, Yehovah. As it is two standard nouns followed by a proper noun, and as it is probably referring only to the true God, not to other gods in relation to him, I think the sense is God, even God, Yehovah. The repetition is given as a strong, emphatic proclamation. The first use of each word helps explain the magnificence of the title. El was first seen in Genesis 14, verse 18, where it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God El Most High, El Elyon. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Avram of God El Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God El Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He is the God of strength and power who can deliver one from all enemies because he possesses all power and authority in heaven and on earth. 
That is a claim made by Jesus in Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. To have all authority is to possess what that authority extends over. Next, Elohim was seen in the first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator God, who is before all things and by whom all things exist and thus also subsist. These are qualities ascribed to Jesus by the apostles. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And from the Darby translation, Colossians 1.17, and He, Jesus, is before all, and all things subsist together by Him. And then the divine name of God, yod heh vav heh or Yehovah, was first seen in Genesis 2. Here's what it says. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord, Yehovah, God, made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord, Yehovah, God, had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord, Jehovah, God, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Among countless other aspects indicated by this name, he is the personal God who interacts with his creation, who shaped man in his image, and who possesses the breath of life within himself. Numerous verses of the New Testament convey to us that this is Jesus. John sums it up quite nicely saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. It is to this majestic God that the eastern tribes appeal, saying, verse 22 continues, He knows, and let Israel itself know. The highly emphatic nature of the words continues here. Hu yodea ve Yisrael hu yeda. He knows, and Israel, he shall know. They are making the strongest defense utterable concerning the matter at hand. The Lord is already aware of their intentions concerning the matter, and Israel will realize the verb is imperfect, it as well. From there, they call for proper discernment on the matter at hand, because an action is required by their accusers. Verse 22 continues, If it is in rebellion, or if in treachery against the Lord, they take the words of their accusers and restate them thus highlighting the gravity of the matter. If in rebellion and if in transgression in Jehovah. These words form the main clause of the conditional statement. In them, their accusers had used the verb forms of the words rebel and transgress several times in their address. Those of the eastern tribes now use the noun form, stating that if they are to be found in the state of rebellion or transgression, they should not be delivered. Having come with the highly emphatic and solemn pronouncement of the titles and name of God, nothing could be more convicting or acquitting. Either there is absolute guilt or there is absolute innocence in what they have done. Verse 22 continues, do not save us this day. 
Al Toshienu Hayom Haze. Do not save us the day, the this. The words are parenthetical to elicit the highest degree of consideration by their accusers. And more, they continue with the challenge to exercise discernment, saying, verse 23, if we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord. More precisely, to build to us altar to turn from after Jehovah. It is a part of the conditional statement. If we have built this altar for a purpose that will mean departing from following after the Lord, we should not be saved. Also, verse 23 continues, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, it says, and if to ascend on it burnt offering and present offering. These words define how they could turn from following the Lord. The offerings were to be made by the priests at the sanctuary currently located in Shiloh. This is said in direct response to the accusation against them in verse 16, in that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. The olah, or burnt offerings, are those that are wholly burnt up to the Lord. The mincha, or present offerings, are normally bloodless and voluntary. They are gifts presented, such as grain offerings. Also, verse 23 continues, or if to offer peace offerings on it. More precisely, and if to make on it sacrifices peace. The shelamim, or peace offerings, are a sacrifice for fellowship between the two parties where both partake of the sacrifice. That would be like the Lord's Supper that we have each week. As such, some is given to the priest as the Lord's portion, and some is returned to the offerer as his portion. If this is not the Lord's offer for offerings, then it is, by default, an acknowledgment of other gods and that these various sacrifices and offerings are being offered to them for appeasement, petitioning, and fellowship. This could not be allowed to stand. Further, the men of the eastern tribes acknowledge that if this was their intent, verse 23 continues, let the Lord himself require an account. The words are emphatic. Yehovah hu yekabesh. Jehovah, he will seek. The meaning is that the Lord himself would intervene and require an accounting for their apostasy. They know this, and so it would be the epitome of stupidity to do what they have been accused of. When laid out as the thought is presented, the sense is clear. The protesis, if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, and then there's an emphatic parenthesis, do not save us this day. And then the protesis is continued. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or to offer peace offerings on it, and then the apodosis, let the Lord himself require an account. On the other hand, verse 24, but if in fact we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, rather, and if not from anxiety, from word, we have done this, saying, in other words, if the Lord doesn't find anything wrong in their intentions, then there must be another reason that they have built the altar. The very thing that brought them to build the altar is just the opposite of what they have been accused of. In this, a new word, deaga, is introduced. It is a noun signifying the state of anxiety. As for what would cause this state of anxiety, they explain that with their next words. Verse 24 continues, In time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? 
Literally, it says, tomorrow may speak your sons to our sons, saying, what to you and to Jehovah God of Israel. The meaning is that at some point in the indefinite future, maybe even tomorrow itself, the 10 tribes in Canaan will say to the Eastern tribes, what relationship exists between you and the Lord, the God of Israel? It is as if the Eastern tribes are not really a part of those who have fellowship with the Lord. As such, they are outsiders and do not deserve the benefits of partaking in the covenant promises. Their thoughts are not without validity. This is seen in their continued explanation. Verse 25, for the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. It is of note that the half-tribe of Manasseh is excluded from their words. Like much of the discourse so far, the wording is very precise. It reads, And border gave Jehovah between us and between you, sons Reuben and sons Gad, the Jordan. The state of anxiety is that at some point in time, those in Canaan will say, If you were really a part of us, you would be living on this side of the Jordan. Therefore, the Lord himself has divided us, separating you from us. Therefore, verse 25 continues, you have no part in the Lord. Ein lachem chelek be-Yehovah, not to you portion in Yehovah. The border that exists between the tribes is evidence that those tribes were purposefully separated from the Lord. This then is the purpose for having built the altar on the west side of the Jordan. If the Jordan was supposedly a border that excluded them from a portion in the Lord, then why is their altar built on the western side above the Jordan? The claim was made within Canaan proper, and the altar testifies to it. Without that, the claim would stand. Verse 25 continues. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. And caused your sons, our sons, to cease fearing Jehovah. The idea being expressed is that of fellowshipping, worshipping, and all other interactions, both internal and external, in relation to the Lord. The division of the land is noted explicitly in the books of Moses. However, Those in Canaan could make the argument that the worship of the Lord is reserved for them alone. In Numbers 34, it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan to its boundaries. And then down in verse 12, This shall be your land with its surrounding boundaries. Within those verses, the borders were carefully defined. After that, it then said this, Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, This is the land which you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half-tribe. For the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, and the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance, and the half-tribe of Manasseh has received its inheritance. The two tribes and the half-tribe have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan, across from Jericho, eastward, toward the sunrise. Therefore, using, or rather misusing, the words of Moses, the western tribes could unjustly say that the eastern tribes were excluded from the inheritance of the Lord. How could we turn away from following the Lord Jesus? It is he who our sin debt did pay, Such a marvelous thing he has done for us. 
How could another turn us back and tell us we have no part in him? That would be the worst kind of attack. Such a thought is dark and grim. He is our God, and to him we shall cling. Forever and ever it shall be so. Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, no other God shall we ever know. Our second thought today is you have no part in the Lord. It's verses 26 through 29. Verse 26, therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar. The word translated as now has less to do with time as it does to suggest something. We may say, now look here. We aren't saying, look here at this time. Rather, it's an interjection. Hey, look here. That is the sense of what is being said. The wording, as before, continues to be very detailed. And we say, make pray to us to build the altar. By using the definite article, it is then set in contrast to verse 23. To build to us altar, to turn from after Jehovah, to us to build the altar. You see the difference. One doesn't have the article, the other does. They are not building an altar for ritual purposes to turn from following the Lord. Rather, they have a particular purpose for it that excludes such a notion. Thus, they are building the altar. Verse 26, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice. Lo leola velo lezavach, not to burnt offering and not to sacrifice. The whole burnt offering would be for appeasement and the sacrifice would be for atonement, fellowship, and so on. The altar is not intended for such things as this. Rather, they explain saying, verse 27, but that it may be a witness. It is emphatic, ki ed hu, for witness it. This is why it is called the altar. It has a specific purpose that has nothing to do with an altar that would replace the altar of the Lord. Rather, it is to be a witness. Verse 27 continues, between you and us and our generations after us. It is much more precise between us and between you and between our generations after us. The altar stands between each principal entity as a witness. Verse 27 continues that we may perform the service of the Lord before him. La avod et avodat Yehovah lefanav, to serve service Yehovah to his face. The meaning is that they fully intend to serve the Lord at the location where the tabernacle is located, not where this altar is located. The altar stood only as a witness to this fact. As for serving before the Lord at the tabernacle, that was to be, verse 27 continues, with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings. Instead, it reads, in our burnt offerings, and in our sacrifices, and in our peace offerings. Rather than the previous verse where the purpose of the altar was explained, this is a listing of the things that the people offer on the altar. It is in the presentation of these things that they would perform the service of the Lord. To ensure that they would never be deprived of this, of this particular rite, they built the altar so, verse 27 continues, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. This now fully explains the state of anxiety that prompted them to build the altar in the first place. At some future point, literally the Hebrew says, tomorrow they may be kept from their portion in the Lord. They had considered this as a possibility. 
they had pondered how they could ensure this would never be the case. And thus they built the altar as a witness to keep it from ever being considered. Verse 28, therefore we said that it will be when they say this to us or our generations in time to come. Rather than or, it says and. In other words, they are assuming that this is something that will happen quickly. They will be considered as being excluded from the portion of the Lord, and it will become the customary way of dealing with them. And we say, and it will become, for they say unto us and unto our generations tomorrow, verse 28 continues, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made. The words leave out any definite articles. And we said, see, replica, altar, Jehovah, which made our fathers. There is one altar of the Lord, and this is a replica of it. As it is on the western side of the Jordan, it was built to witness to those within Canaan that those east of the Jordan worshiped the Lord just as they did. As Jehovah's altar could not have been replicated in such an exacting manner if they hadn't seen it, then this was clear evidence that they had always been followers of the Lord. They were entitled to fellowship at the Lord's altar, and they were to participate in full communion with those of Israel west of the Jordan. And to ensure that its purpose was perfectly understood, they once again repeat the same sentiment already stated in various ways. Verse 28 continues, Though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. It is an exacting repetition of the words of verses 26 and 27. The words are singular, and there is an emphatic pronouncement. Not to burnt offering and not to sacrifice, for witness it between us and between you. Being a repetition, the entire thought provides its own emphasis. They are innocent of the charges against them, and they adamantly repudiate them while also explaining what the purpose of the altar is. With that, they continue their protestations, saying, verse 29, far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord. The words are a denial of rebellion and are a direct part of the chiasm. Halilah lanu mimenu lemrod Yehovah, profane thing to us from rebelling in Yehovah. The idea itself is utterly repugnant to them. It would be something that was defiling in and of itself, and it would be a mark of rebellion against the Lord. That is then further explained with the words, verse 29 continues, and turn from following the Lord this day. The logical progression of rebellion is that one will first turn away in thought and then turn away in reality. Their consciences are clear because their thoughts were pure in regard to this matter. They are adamant that their intention was not, verse 29 continues, to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices. Again, the words are singular. It is so annoying when they take a singular and they make a plural, or when they take a plural and make it singular, because you will never understand what the intent of the passage is. Very, very annoying. Offering and sacrifice. It is a description of the purpose of the altar not a list of the things that will be offered on it. Thus, it is acknowledgement that there is one valid altar on which those things can be accomplished. Their replica is not that altar. That is expressly stated with their next words. Verse 29 finishes with, besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. 
Milbad Mizbach Yehovah Elohinu Asher Lifne Mishkano. Besides altar Yehovah our God, which to face his tabernacle. The meaning of their words is clear. There is one altar to the Lord, no other is acceptable, and they acknowledge this. Their replica was solely for the purpose of proving and thus maintaining their rights if they were ever questioned by those who lived on the western side of the Jordan. Remembering that the altar was a typological representation of Jesus, as were all of the sacrifices and offerings made upon it, the symbolism is clear. These tribes have acknowledged that there is one way and one way alone to be right with God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the true altar. He is the ultimate fulfillment of the burnt offering, the gifts presented, the sacrifices, and everything associated with each of these things. God is showing us in real historical events what he expects of us. There were innumerable events that happened within the history of Israel that were just as important to the general population as what we are seeing in Joshua 22. But God only chose events that would explain to us what he wants us to see in regard to Jesus. We cannot build our own path back to God. We cannot obtain any other suitable sacrifice for atonement. No other offering except Christ or one done in Christ can be considered as a pleasing aroma to God. There is no fellowship with God except as it is connected with faith in Jesus Christ. These things are to be taken as axiomatic because this is how the Bible has revealed them to us. To God, everything concerning our relationship with him is nothing but Jesus, and it is Jesus plus nothing. Everything that happens between God and us occurs only because of Jesus. We have to remember this. The eastern tribes of Israel only had the law, but that law in its entirety points to Jesus. In acknowledging the precepts of the law, they were implicitly but expressly anticipating Jesus. This is why God has placed this account into his word. There are only five verses left in the account, and we will finish them up next week. Well, one never knows, though. There may be five more sermons before we finish things up. You'll just have to wait and see. Until then, remember these words about Jesus. He and he alone is to be considered our altar of meeting before God. Any other representation of him is to be for our identification with him. For example, a cross is an identification with the Lord, a reminder of what he has done. It should never be considered as a source of power or idolatry. The same is true with a building, a church building, where the church meets. That is not the church. It is simply a place to gather and remind us that we are the church. Unfortunately, we get these things out of whack, and what should serve a lesser purpose begins to take our attention away, co-opting what should be our greatest focus. So, let us fix our eyes on Jesus as we continue down life's path. If we do that, things sure will go better for us. And let us be ever grateful to God for his goodness to us in sending Jesus to direct that path all of our days. Yes, let us thank God for Jesus. What a wonderful story of redemption is being pictured here in the pages of the Bible. Uh, Andy just told me that she's been going through all of the Old Testament sermons that we've done so far, and she finished Numbers. 
So she's starting in Deuteronomy and she's reading them because you get more out of it. Some people get more out of things reading than watching. Plus, you don't have to see my face if you watch the YouTube videos. But anyway, I'm very happy about that because she's learning things that otherwise she wouldn't have heard. Now, I'm not saying that what I have presented is, you know, something special. There are other people that have found other things that are completely true within the scriptures that I haven't even thought of. The study of the Bible is a lifetime adventure. It's something that we should be doing all the time. But when we do it, we should always ask ourselves, how does this point to Jesus? What is God telling us and why is he doing it? As I said a minute ago, there were 10 billion different things that went on in Israel that were just as important to the whole population of Israel that are not recorded in scripture. But this is. Why is this here and not something else? It's because there is typology being presented to us about what God wants us to see in redemptive history. And if we can see that typology, you know, we started the, uh, the service today, Jim, telling us about the prophecies of Israel. Well, we had all of that in typology so far in the book of Joshua. Exactly what he talked about, the reestablishment of Israel, them being brought into the land, them going into the millennial reign of Christ after following or coming to Jesus Christ as a nation has all been presented in the book of Joshua in detail. And this is to show us that we are either on the wrong path or we're on the right path with our theology. You know, people, they say you must observe the Sabbath. I had somebody email me that. I mentioned this during the Bible class on Thursday. He says, well, I'm convinced now that we need to observe the Sabbath. How do you refute that? And I sent him the Leviticus 23 sermon on the Sabbath. And I said, there's a lot more involved in this, but that ought to at least tell you that that is a heresy. If you were observing the Sabbath in order to please God, then it was not of grace that you were saved. Everybody got that? If you have to do something in order to get to heaven, then it's not of grace, but it is a gift of grace. If you have to do anything after being saved to remain saved, it wasn't grace at the beginning. The entire process is flawed and you are condemned because you are trying to earn what God has already given you in the giving of his son. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do right things, okay? The New Testament is full of things that we should and shouldn't do, you know? All kinds of stuff. So if you don't know the New Testament, you need to read it and take it in its proper context. But if you are trying to earn God's favor and saying, I need to do this so that I can stand before God, you will never stand before God. Jesus has done it. It is all Jesus, and it is nothing but Jesus, okay? He died for your sins. He went into the grave. He rose again. What can you add to that? You tell me what you can add to that for your salvation. Of course, you can do things afterward to make God happy, like not sleeping with your neighbor's wife, and like, you know, all the things that the New Testament says. There's all kinds of things that you should be doing, but that is not what merits salvation, Jesus is. So please call on Jesus. Believe that simple gospel that Jesus has done it all. Listen, we talked about these folks. It's too far away for me to grab over in Pakistan. They went to a meeting to get a meal and they heard about Jesus and they realized that the God's plural that they have feared all their lives and been giving their money away to at the temple are nothing. They understand now that they are saved simply by believing in God's provision. That is simple faith right there. You know what? Somebody's going to move into that town. They're going to start a charismatic church, and they're going to have these people all screwed up in their head. But they started out with the clear and right thinking, okay? That was kind of tongue-in-cheek, obviously. A charismatic church isn't going to move into Pakistan. But 
if they did, they would have those people out there tithing every week and saying, you got to do this and you got to do that. If you don't go to church on Saturday and observe the Sabbath, you're not going to be saved when they're already saved by the faith that they professed in Christ. You can't add to it. Please just believe the simple gospel. Don't mar grace. If there's anything else that you want to botch up in your theology, don't mar grace, okay? But please don't botch up your theology anywhere else either. Learn the word. Adhere to the word. Think on the word. Cherish the word because this is our connection right now between God and us until Christ comes again. We have the spirit, but guess what? The spirit isn't going to infuse you with knowledge. He gave you the word. The spirit gave us the word. Everybody know that, right? Holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit gave us this word. If you aren't reading this word, then you are diminishing the power of the Spirit in your life. Okay? What was the quote you had from, uh, do you remember it still? If you don't, it's okay. Word of God. Uh, wait a minute. Creates with the Spirit of God to make us a son of God. Okay, that's very close. The Word of God uh, creates with the Spirit of God to make us a Son of God. Yeah. We've got the Word, and it was given to us by the Spirit. The Spirit has sealed us, so it makes us a Son of God. But don't leave this out of the equation. Too many churches do this. Okay, closing verse. 1 Kings twelve twenty-eight through 30. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Exactly what these tribes are being accused of, in which they did not do, these people did, and it went on for hundreds of years. Yeah. Right? Total apostasy. Next week is Joshua 22, 30 through 34. He is the one that every true believer applauds as sure as can be. It's entitled the Lord God of Gods. Part three. Woo! That'll be our 53rd Joshua sermon. It'll be the end of this typology here. Okay, so then we'll get into chapter uh, 23 which Sergio typed in his typing app a couple days ago, and he said, I love this chapter. Okay, I'm going to be frank with you. I don't even remember what I typed because I'm not there yet. I'll probably next week do the, uh, the uh, preparation for the sermon, and then I'll remember. And then we come to uh, chapter 24, and I believe that's three-part sermon as well. So we have to keep Jay working. All right, but for now, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Uh, let's see here. I got a question. And what I did today, uh, mango season is over. I'll tell you what happened. I told somebody uh, this week, I've never done this before, but I was thinking of you all when I did this. Okay, I have always picked every mango on that tree and we sell them and we bring them to church. We give them to people and all that kind of stuff. There is one branch that I decided I'm not going up on that branch this year. There's about an eight foot section where there's no branch that you can grab onto. So if I slip, all I have is the main branch and you can't hold your body up when you're slipping. So down you go. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be responsible and not pick those last 50 or 60 mangoes. All right. Um, Hidako is probably waiting. She had a camera like... Yeah. 
anyway, I decided to not do it. And uh, so the mango season ended last Wednesday. And then I took some to the bank to the girls on Thursday. And uh, unfortunately, one of them, she had a birthday and she wasn't there. So she got no mango. So the other girl got lots. Anyway, they have been falling very slowly from that branch. This fell this morning and this has to be eaten today. This is ripe. This is the best mango you're ever going to have in your life. I can see it. It looks so good that I wanted to keep it. And I said, I'm not going to do that. You are absolutely going to love this. But do not let it sit another day. This is today mango. You'll get to eat it, I'm sure. I got plenty of them. But this one fell literally within about a minute and a half or two minutes of me leaving the house. And because I found another one, I took it and I gave it to Hidako. And I said, should I take this to church? And she said, I want that for food today. So, and then she actually felt so guilty. She brought it in and asked, do you still? I said, no, don't worry. Another one fell. So this is, they're so good. You're not going to have a better mango in your life if you get this question. Please raise your hand because this is something that somebody sent me. Uh, he was chastised for sending one too hard last time. I do believe somebody will get this. So please raise your hand. Do this. Everybody practice. Okay. Who was Paul's scribe for the epistle to the Romans? Go. What? No. His scribe. Well, you got the first letter right, but that's it. Huh? Not Theophilus. That's who Luke wrote uh, to. Titus. You're very close. I'm even going to let you try one more time. You're very close. It comes down to pronunciation and an extra letter. Tertius. 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 Okay, it means third. In the book of Romans, you've got quartus, which means four. They believe that these people were slaves and they were just numbered when they were born. You're number three, you're number two, you're number four, whatever. I will give this to you because it's the best mango you're ever going to have in your life. Okay, so when you come by, don't forget it because if you do, I'm going to put it in my pocket and leave. I know. This, I guarantee you that's going to be a good mango. You're going to say, oh, that's good. Okay. Um, yeah, yes. From Dan to Beersheba. To Bethel, he oh. said that was where the altars were. Oh, yes, Dan and, and it's Bethel. The very, very north part. Yep. Bethel is about, what, 30 miles north? North of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's right. So encompassed pretty much all of the 10 northern ten, tribes. Ten tribes yeah. And he got them to turn away from the Lord. He did. I can't believe nobody got Tertius. But I'll tell you something. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten it if I didn't. You know, I don't know. He sent me the question. I'm like, that's a great question. So anyway, uh, it, it, that's one of the names you probably wouldn't remember until you hear it. And then you say, of course, because you know, you've read Romans. Everybody here has read Romans at least 80 times. I know. So, okay. The Lord God of gods, part two. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows and let Israel itself know as we now tell. If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings acting in that way or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But if in fact we have done it for fear, for a reason saying, Please let us now our thoughts recount. In time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? If such, they are relaying. For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. That would be really bad. Therefore, 
We said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us. This was our advice, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings too, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord, beat it, now, shoo. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say to this or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made. Stop acting dumb. Though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices is it, but it is a witness between you and us, so we admit. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices. Besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle, no way, Jose. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, how wonderful it is to read this word and to think about it and to try to understand what you're telling us. It's just such a delight to see that you are giving us hints of other things. What, what a treasure. And who would think of such a thing except you, O oh God, that you would lay out the ages before us and then point us to what those things are showing in the giving of your Son. By grace, through faith, we are saved. And that's all we need is just to believe. Thank you for that wonderful promise and the hope that we possess because of it. And may the day be soon when you come to bring us home to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um.